skunk ape, and it completely altered the course of my life. I found a skull. I think you guys are going to want to come build this. Put him out. 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 I just see it. I just see it. I just see it. Sightings of a UFO hovering over a barn. Millie woke up from a dream, and when I went into the bedroom, she said there's a monster on the wall. They saw that the creature had run through a barbed wire fence. They were able to obtain hairs. They sent the hairs to their lab and it came back as an unknown creature. What is up, guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. I am the one, the only Shane Squatch. And I'm Oren, and we are finally back from holidays and sabbaticals and vacations and all that good stuff so uh we are ready to hit the ground running here in 2024 we've got some big plans for you guys so uh stay tuned for all that say talk about some weird timing actually that we had all the bouncing around breaks and then first week of this of january we're just going to be running it through now up until probably next year at the same time with the holidays but i guess uh we'll, we'll play it by ear when we get to that point but uh we had a lot of flakiness lately as far as dropping episodes so at least all the listeners out there know that we're back full sprint now we've got a lot of awesome stuff planned for you guys and uh yeah hopefully 2024 we can keep making the show grow you guys can keep uh sharing the show word of mouth dropping reviews for us all that fun stuff interacting with us and uh coming out to see us and actually just as like a pre-announcement uh or do you want to tell them about the two events for sure that we're going to be at this year so uh it's looking like so far we're going to be at uh squonkapalooza in uh johnstown pennsylvania and that is on august the 10th if i'm not mistaken and uh, then we're also going to be doing Cryptid Halloween 3 this year. Uh, that was our first speaking engagement that we did last year in uh, Charlestown, West Virginia. Uh, big shout out to Dave for uh, inviting us to speak out there. So, uh, yeah, we got a couple big things on the books for you guys. And hopefully as the year goes on, we'll have uh, more exciting stuff to share with you. Actually, we have three then because I totally forgot about the Cryptid Halloween one. But also Small Town Monster Fest 2 we will be at. Uh, June 29th. Not speaking, but we will be there. Yes, exactly. That one, you know, at least at least we get to event there. That's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a lot of uh, exposure for the show as far as I know a lot of people come out to that. And uh, maybe one, maybe next year, maybe the following year, maybe we can convince them to let us speak there. But it's a matter of, I guess, collecting as many friends in the community as we can. They're interested in having us speak. And then it kind of gives us a little bit more grounds to stand on when we're like, hey, small town monsters, let us speak at your event. <laughs> And on that note, you guys know, same thing we say every episode. Get up with us through social media. Uh, Instagram's where we're most active. But uh, the Discord's also starting to gain some steam, so uh, definitely check that out if you guys are interested. And, uh, you know, same stuff as always. The uh, Share your encounters, the email, the submission link, all that good stuff. And uh, Shane's going to tell you all a little bit more about the uh, sharing your encounters link. Side note on the Discord, of course, too. Um, I do have it set up where there's a specific tab for our other show that we're starting to run, which is uh, Bizarre Inquiries. So if anybody has any what-if type scenario questions they want to drop, uh, they can also go onto the Discord, join the Discord, and leave some of your questions there and give us a little bit of a stockpile of stuff we can talk about on that show. And of course, I will give you guys a shout out if we do that. And beyond that, if you guys would like to report any encounters, uh, no matter how big, no matter how small, whether they're alien, paranormal, uh, cryptid, uh, bizarre phenomenon, a weird anomaly, anything like that. What, again, no matter how big, no matter how small, uh, I want to hear about it. And uh, possibly, you know, you might get featured on the show if we read your encounter in the beginning of the show. Uh, you can completely stay anonymous if you'd like to. Uh, you might get used within like a book if we if I end up putting a book together with all of your guys different stories and everything in it or if you guys just straight up just want to be investigated or have somebody to talk to uh, you guys can completely keep it between us and with you of course too uh, any of those things 
things are definitely viable options. Uh, like I said, if you guys are within an area that I can come and investigate and you guys don't want to be talked about any of the shows, that's definitely something that I can do too. But uh, the only way it's going to happen is if you guys report your encounters to OMM Encounter Reports at Outlook.com. And uh, beyond that, if you guys would like to support the show, there's a couple of different ways to do so. Uh, number one, of course, that I highly recommend doing is going and becoming a Patreon member. Uh, there's multiple tiers over there ranging from, uh, I think the lowest one is $3, uh, but you get things such as early access to the show, lives of the show, live replays of the show. Um, the first couple episodes of Bizarre Inquiry is going to get dropped on the normal feed, but after that, that will be a Patreon exclusive show, so that's something else that you will get. Uh, you'll also get exclusive merch store discounts. Uh, there's exclusive giveaways going on over on the Patreon, but a lot of really, really cool, interesting stuff. And you don't just get Bizarre Encounters. You also get Inquiries of All Reality, so a little bit more bang for your buck. It's like you get three shows over on the Patreon, so make sure you guys go and check that one out. Uh, you guys can also, again, like I mentioned with the... Uh, Patreon, you guys can go and check out the OMM merch store, which over there you'll get stuff for this show, inquiries, and some of the other cryptid random designs that I've been working on over there. I uh, got a lot more intention to drop a lot more cryptid designs, so going to be expanding that merch store, so make sure you guys regularly check up on that merch store. And if you guys would like to donate to the show directly, you guys can do so through our RSS host, which is Red Circle. Uh, and if you guys donate and it doesn't give you some type of option to leave a personalized message, uh, make sure you guys send me a message. Let me know what you guys donated because all that's going to go towards us being able to get out to more events, be able to meet more of you guys. And of course, if you guys donate anything to the show, I want to make sure I give you guys a shout out in the show. And as I always say, give appreciation where appreciations do. And speaking of giving appreciation, huge shout out and thank you to our buddies Rick and Hans at I Know Squatch for uh, sponsoring the show. I mean, you guys know we love their stuff. We wear their shirts and hats all the time. Uh, it's my go-to koozie. I'm sipping my beer out of a I Know Squatch koozie as we speak. I got one too uh, with so, no beer. <laughs> yep, we're matchers. So uh, you guys definitely check them out. They're awesome dudes and they make some awesome stuff. And if you guys are looking for something else to support, uh, definitely check out Joe at Crypto Theology. He's killing it, as always, with his uh, cryptid and alien and high strangeness designs. Say, make sure you guys go check out I Know Squatch for Sasquatch stuff. And make sure you guys check out Joe over there at Crypto Theology for any other cryptid-related thing that you guys might want. So you guys can support both of them at the same time and not feel like they're necessarily competing with each other because they both have very diverse, different stuff. And it's very, very cool for their own separate reasons, of course. And uh, to all my paranormal investigators out there, if anybody wants to get a super cool all-in-one paranormal investigating device, which I use anytime I end up going out, uh, you guys can go and check out the Chattergeist, which is created by Dimension devices and if you guys have any technical questions on it whatsoever barry is the guy who set it up and programmed it he's the guy who also runs the dimension device instagram uh, so you guys can ask him any of your technical questions and if you guys are planning on picking one up make sure you guys use our affiliate link because that will help out the show greatly but beyond that of course just again i think that all my paranormal investigator friends out there you guys will really enjoy it um, it's the only thing on the market that is like what it is so again check it out at least give it a chance it might be your new favorite paranormal investigating device and as always all this shit we've mentioned is in the show notes in the show description and getting into the episode today uh today is one of the episodes that you my friend over there have researched so of course i will pass the torch over to you to let everybody know what we're going to be uh learning and discussing today all right, so before our little holiday break, uh, we kind of teased what we had up on the uh, docket for you guys, and I mentioned that we're kind of going to be doing like a, uh, a unofficial series, I'd say, on like uh, Appalachian cryptids and monsters and whatnot. So this is going to be the first of that series, and today we're going to talk about one of my favorites, the Flatwoods Monster. It's like the Marvel movies. They're all together, but they're standalones at the same time. So however you guys yeah, want to view yeah. it, it's like the Marvel. We're Marvel the multiverse right now. <laughs> multiverse, yep, exactly. Of cryptids. <laughs> so uh, diving right into Flatwoods. So the main Flatwoods monster encounter happened on September 12th of 1952. And of course it happened in the town of Flatwoods, West Virginia. And Flatwoods is kind of known for being like the geographic center of the state of West Virginia. And it's located only a few miles north of the town of Sutton. And uh, Sutton, West Virginia is actually the seat of Braxton County. And, you know, a lot of you guys probably know that the Flatwoods monster is sometimes referred to as Braxy because this happened in Braxton County. But uh, anyway, so on the evening in question, 
a group of six boys were playing football on the lawn of the Flatwoods Elementary School. And the group consisted of two brothers. Their names were Eddie and Freddie May, and they were uh, 13 and 11 years old, respectively. Another boy named Neil Nunley, who was 14. A boy named Tommy Heyer, who was 10. And another boy named Ronnie Shaver, who was also 10. I just wanted to point out the fact that one of those parents was like, all right, we got a son named Eddie. What do we call the second one? I don't know. Just adding that far in front of that. That'll that'll be the second front son's name, Freddie. Eddie and Freddie. Perfect. so confusing. (laughs) Like, that's, that's some lazy naming right there. I was just looking at that, like... If you say it out loud, it's one thing, but if you're actually looking at it printed in front of you, you're just like, wow, the only difference between their name isn't that far in the front. But I'm sorry, not to get too side tangent on that one. <laughs> oh, no, I thought it was funny, too. Uh, like some of the things I came across, they referred to them as like Edward and Frederick or whatever. And that's just not nearly as funny as Eddie and Freddie. You got to separate them a little bit. I'm sure that's something that they requested because they were like, God damn it. If we, we just have people call us our regular names, if they're yelling at us from a distance, we're not going to be able to tell which one of us they're calling for. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how their mom ever yelled for them at all, but... That was the intention. She just yells one name, and then they both come. That's the idea. Hey, yeah, that's the model of efficiency <laughs> at that point. You just got to make a generic loud sound, and they both know it's for them. <laughs> so, uh, also playing football with the boys that night was a West Virginia National Guardsman named Eugene Lemon, and he was 17 years old. Uh, so, you know, even though he's in the National Guard, he was still like a high school-age student. And his dog was also with them that night. Uh, So around 7.15 p.m., the group heard a loud noise and saw a bright object streaking across the sky. And they said that the object descended vertically, kind of like a helicopter does. like It just kind of floated out of the air. Uh, And this object landed on a hillside nearby on the property of a farmer named G. Bailey Fisher. So when they saw this light land on the, you know, the hillside on the farm across the street, the boys ran to the home of Joseph and Leotha Lemon, which were Eugene's parents. And also visiting the Lemons that night was their daughter, Audra Kathleen May, who was Freddie and Eddie's mother. So basically, you know, this group is kind of all interconnected through family ties and whatnot. So um, Kathleen May was a beauty shop owner and entrepreneur, uh, and she had her place of business in the town of Sutton. So the group kind of told Kathleen and the Lemons what they had seen, and because the boys were like in such a state of hysteria almost, she believed that they had actually seen something. And so she suggested that she go with them to the Fisher Farm to kind of investigate and see what was going on. I was going to say, especially being between like 10, 11, 13, 14, the oldest 17, you know, most people would be like, oh, these kids are out there drinking. But like, I feel like that's too young to the point where they weren't really trying to drink yet, or at least I would assume so. But, you know, small town area, not a lot to do. I mean, maybe it's a possibility that there was 10 year olds out here drinking. I don't know. But uh, they might have been getting after it. Who who are we to say? That's an even but- worse thing to think about. <laughs> 10 year olds trying to get it. But again, nothing to do in a small town, I guess. Right. <laughs> Hopefully the 17-year-old uh, anyway, didn't have any intentions. That's all that matters here. <laughs> he's good to go. He's almost a man. But Anyway, so when the group reached the hillside, they discovered a large oval craft. And they said the craft was approximately 25 feet in diameter, and it emitted a pulsing reddish-orange light. And so there's also this like heavy mist in the air and the smell of burning sulfur, which you know we talk about all the time. The smell of burning sulfur comes up in all sorts of paranormal, high strangeness, Bigfoot, ghosts, you name it. Anything weird that happens, there's this smell of burning sulfur associated with it. So the group then heard movement over to their left, and Eugene Lemon aimed his flashlight at a nearby tree. And the group saw what they described as a 10 to 12 foot tall robotic entity levitating off of the ground. And so kind of the consensus among the witnesses was that the monster had a round red face surrounded by a dark colored like hood or helmet. And they described it as being shaped uh, like the ace of spades. So like, you know, the the symbol on the playing cards, like, you know, point at the top and then kind of like heart shaped at the bottom. That's what they said the hood or helmet apparatus, whatever you want to call it, was shaped like. 
So this is where the uh, Motorhead song was named after. That, that was supposed Probably. to be his perspective of what the kids were seeing. The it's the Ace of Spades. <laughs> I don't have confirmation on that, but it sounds good to me. <laughs> good enough. It'll work. <laughs> so this creature entity, whatever you want to call it, monster, if you will, also had glowing greenish orange eyes and small claw-like hands. And the monster's body was made out of a metallic black or dark green material and its lower body was said to resemble like a long pleated skirt almost uh so at this point the monster hissed and glided toward the group and it sprayed some kind of strange oily substance on them so at this point the group and uh eugene lemon's dog was still with them at this point so they kind of fled from the scene and they returned to the lemon's residence I have a lot of comments on this part, but I get, you looked like you're about to say something. So I'll let you go first. Nope, nope. I've got it broken down, like in main encounter aftermath, whatnot. So this is a great point to jump in. <clears throat> so this is reminiscent to me of a mixture of different things. Number one, of course, <laughs> the first. Oh, this is the last thing I thought of as you were describing this. At least with the metallic part of it, it seems very reminiscent of the new Peruvian face peelers thing where they're wearing these robotic suits they're hovering and at least from a couple different reports that i uh was hearing about they talk about how they had this like substance that they put on people that they tried to like peel their face off with at least for like the main girl for anybody that's been following the peruvian face peelers thing and all the stuff that uh tim albarino has been talking about with it but uh they talk about how they had this like paste stuff that they try to put on the people's face they can essentially like peel their skin so that seems reminiscent of that even to the fact of some of the colors seem kind of reminiscent of how they describe these like suits and boards that the peruvian face peelers were on uh and then on top of that them being an unnatural kind of metallic-y material kind of gives me an idea of like Pascagoula where it just seemed kind of weird that it wasn't like a typical alien idea of like what you'd be expecting. It seemed something that was a little bit more mechanical. And if I'm not mistaken, there was the whole gliding aspect with Pascagoula too, right? Yep. And then... Absolutely. I've actually got Pascagoula in my notes to talk about that. Yeah, the levitating robotic type entities, and they were even described as having like little claw hands as well. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's even more another one that goes into it. A lot of connections with Pascagoula. And then another one to throw in on this, again, talking about the unnatural materials. To interrupt, we do have an episode on Pascagoula, so you guys check that out if you have not but anyway continue and the other thing i'm about to mention it's a really old episode back with uh one of the other co-hosts that i originally did the show with but maybe at some point we'll bring it back around but so sam the sandown clown it seems reminiscent of that because the whole sam the sandown clown thing he appeared like he was made out of wood which again seems just like an unnatural material that doesn't seem something that's very typical to like aliens so to speak like at least from that case from this case uh, and from the Peruvian face peelers thing, it's kind of like a weird thing or it sits on a fence that it seems like it could go both ways between being actual extra- extraterrestrial and possibly also being like human intervention because there's a few different ideas within each of these cases that kind of make you bounce back and forth with both. Like the whole levitating weird technology concept. Like, of course, you want to believe that it's extraterrestrials because that's the most fascinating outcome to it. But again, it for me, more often than not, it seems to go back to i definitely believe there's extraterrestrials but a lot of this stuff seems very reminiscent of advanced technology that's theoretically being hidden that might just be government technology but after that rant pass it back to you (laughs) no no we're definitely going to get into some of those very same theories and uh you know ideas that people have what this thing actually could be a little later on so no we're definitely on the right track here so say this seems like one of those odd cases out that like Pascagoula, if you actually were just talking about the creatures themselves, you would assume it was something extraterrestrial until you get to that fine detail that I always point back out with the whole thing where the girl that was inside the ship, the female uh, extraterrestrial, seemed like she had that mask line on. So then after you hear that, you're like, all right, maybe this is a suit. 
So then you fast forward over to the Peruvian face peelers and they talk about how the little, the girl that Tim Alberino interviewed, that was the original one that got attacked by these things and had the big slit and everything on her neck. Uh, she said that she heard them speaking, I think it was Spanish or Peruvian, whatever the language is that was familiar with that area, but she said it was kind of broken up. So that again, kind of brings back the whole like human aspect being brought into this. And then at least with this one, I don't know. It just, it's, the the robotic where it was shooting some kind of oil on him, uh, I don't know. It just it, for me, it just kind of shouts human intervention. And at least since it was like a one off thing too, it seems like all these one offs well, are different trials well, on suits. One off. Well, I mean, one off to like one specific area, not like an extraterrestrial that's seen like around the world. There you go. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, I'll throw it back to you. <laughs> oh no, no, we're just uh, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here. So jumping back into the notes. Um, so in the aftermath of the main encounter, the Braxton County Sheriff's Department was contacted and Sheriff Robert Carr and Deputy Burnell Long uh, went out to the Fisher Farm to investigate. And when they arrived, they met with some of the eyewitnesses and the members of the group, including Eugene Lemon. And they convinced him to take them up the hill to the alleged landing site. And as they made their way up the hill, uh, Sheriff Carr abruptly like called off the search and said that he thought they were on a wild goose chase and said that they would return in the morning. So uh, by that point, local reporters were beginning to arrive out at the farm. And so it just became kind of a bustling hive of activity at that point. On the morning of September 13th, which would have been the next morning, uh, Sheriff Carr returned to the Fisher Farm with members of the West Virginia State Police, and they discovered that the grass where the uh, kind of object or craft, whatever you want to call it, appeared to have landed was mashed down, and there were two large skid marks roughly six feet apart on the grass. And they also found a dark, greasy substance on the grass, and there was still like the smell of sulfur in the air. So, I mean, I guess theoretically this dark, greasy substance could have been what the eyewitnesses reported being sprayed on them. You know, it's. I wonder if they ever tested to see if there's anything like radioactive in the area, because it seems like that could also be a possible differentiation between actual extraterrestrials and, again, possible human intervention is the fact that the stuff that's human-made doesn't seem like it leaves the radiation within the soil, but it seems like extraterrestrial ships leave some type of remnants of radiation in the soil. So I'm not sure about like the radiation aspect of it, but I do have here in the notes that the West Virginia National Guard later visited the site and they collected soil samples, but I never found anything that said what those findings were or what their conclusions were, which it's not like we would get the truth or a straight answer at that point, but it does look like samples were taken. I mean, the greasy substance too. I mean, at least from my perspective, I haven't heard about that with any other extraterrestrial cases. So that also speaks of maybe it was some type of human technology using some type of like grease or lubricant. Since again, I haven't really heard anything about that with any other UFO case. Yeah, it's definitely an odd detail. And that's kind of going to play into some of our uh, our theories later on. Uh, but, but by this point, uh, several curious locals and whatnot had already visited the landing site. And it's kind of theorized that they could have tainted the landing site at this point. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this later. But uh, just keep that in mind for when we get to the conclusions and theories and all that good stuff. So, uh, because the National Guard was sent in and did these samples, and kind of like you were talking about a little bit ago, it's been you know widely speculated that the National Guard was sent in by the Air Force to either secure the area or that the military slash government was actually the cause of this encounter and they were perpetrating a cover-up. So, basically, exactly what you said, this was some kind of man-made experiment or testing or something 
they're just having fun in a in some type of robotic suit. <laughs> they're like, all right, we're going down anyways. Might as well scare these kids away. That's why I came at him screaming like this, you know, with the oil and everything was because it wasn't intending to land and it had to scare the kids off so that it could leave again. It's like, whatever. They'll just, just think I'm an alien. Robot suit out for a spin. <laughs> if you're going to exit the suit, at least wear the space suit to scare the kids away so they don't know what type of technology we have here. <laughs> So after the encounter, uh, the eyewitnesses reported trouble breathing, nausea, vomiting, and irritation of the eyes and throat, which you know, it speculated that it was caused by the fumes and the mist that were in the area and then the oily substance that was sprayed on them. Um, but you know, a lot of these symptoms are very similar in UFO reports that we get from around the world. And uh, in some of the eyewitnesses, these symptoms lasted for several days. And of course, you know, skeptics suggested that they, you know, were just being hysterical and this was psychological trauma. But these symptoms are consistent with exposure to mustard gas, which also kind of hints at some sort of military slash government involvement. I was just about to say government technology. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, there you go. And uh, Eugene Lemon's dog died a few days after this. Oh, so, poor boy. Yeah, but if it was just, you know, hysteria, the dog probably wouldn't have just dropped dead. You know, something biological happened to these people, it seems like, for them all to have these similar symptoms and experiences, and then the dog just drops dead. That's what the greasy substance was. They're trying to make some type of mustard gas that rather than creating a cloud that you could, like, just throw on somebody at that point. Well, it seemed like it kind of worked. Uh, <laughs> after the encounter, um, there was like widespread media coverage, and there was like hundreds of phone calls pouring into the Braxton County Sheriff's Office. And these calls came from you know newspaper reporters and television and radio stations and other UFO researchers. And a few days after the encounter, Kathleen May, which is Freddie and Eddie's mother, and Eugene Lemon were interviewed live on a New York City television station called WNBW-TV. And uh, also during various interviews with the eyewitnesses, um, you know, the members of the group were separately asked to draw pictures of the monster, and the drawings they produced were like very consistent and similar to each other. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of our listeners have seen those various drawings and pictures, but they're pretty cool. So if you just, like, Google... Flatwoods monster and look at images. You're going to see these drawings, and they're definitely worth checking out. Better yet, I'll just include them in the uh, show cover art so that you guys can Perfect. see them. I'll put like a little chain down the side of each of the individual drawings or something. Perfect. Yeah, that sounds great. But um, some of the early UFO researchers that came and investigated were uh, Ivan T. Sanderson, who's you know a big name in ufology, and then Gray Barker. And Gray Barker is kind of an interesting character uh, because he's really renowned in like the whole men in black thing, which again, we're going to get into a little bit more in this unofficial series we're talking about. But uh, so, uh, Sanderson and Barker investigated at the landing site and they also interviewed like hundreds of locals. And it is interesting to note that Barker was born only a few miles from Flatwoods in the town of Rifle, West Virginia. And he later uh, wrote about the encounter in his book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. Or Never Enough, depending yeah. on how you look at it. <laughs> and, uh, but Barker is kind of a, um, a controversial figure to a certain extent because he was known to kind of be prone to exaggerations. And a lot of the reliability of his claims and information have been called into question. Uh, so we're... Again, we're going to talk about that a little bit later uh, down the road. But um, Project Blue Book also alleg allegedly excuse me, investigated the encounter, but uh, spoiler alert, no official explanation was given. There's never an official explanation for anything. <laughs> I think we went over this during the Giant of Kandahar episode recently, too. There's never an official explanation. It's always, oh, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. There's, nothing there's nothing. Here. There's nothing that ever happened. What do you mean? So it's kind of interesting, though, uh, because several other UFO sightings and strange encounters happened either, you know, like on this same night or, uh, you know, a couple nights afterwards in this area. 
Um, and so earlier on the evening of September 12th, before the main, you know, kind of Flatwoods monster encounter, the Braxton County Sheriff's Department received a call from a man named Woodrow Thomas Eagle. And he claimed that he had seen a brightly lit, lit object, which he thought might have been an airplane, crash on a hillside about 13 miles from Flatwoods. And so Sheriff Carr and Deputy Long, who we talked about previously, they went out to that location. And again, this is before the whole Flatwoods monster encounter. But they went out to that location to investigate, and they said they didn't find anything there. So this next encounter that we're going to talk about is probably my favorite part of the whole story. I think it's really interesting. So on the night of September 13th, which was the night after the main encounter, George and Edith, uh, I believe it's pronounced Snitowski. That's how I'd guess it is too. Yeah. Snitowski. Yeah. So anyway, uh, George and Edith were driving with their 18-month-old son, and they're about 20 miles south of Flatwoods, and their car just like suddenly died, which everybody knows, you know, cars suddenly dying is a big thing in UFO and all sorts of weird energy drain. Because yeah. there's they're pulling energy somewhere, so I mean that also brings in the possibility of is this thing from an alternate reality where there's some type of time slip or some type of rip that opened and started pulling energy towards it? That's one thing that I like to wonder about. Dun 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 dun. So uh, on the side of the road where their car broke down, they noticed that there was a large craft that glowed with a purple light and emitted a strange mist. Here's an idea. Aliens. <laughs> aliens. <laughs> it's always aliens. <laughs> there was also a strong smell of burning sulfur that they smelled, and the baby began to just like cry and go crazy when all this happened. So George got out of the car to investigate, and he said that he felt a tingling electrical sensation, and then he saw what he described as a 10 to 12 foot tall figure gliding towards him. So, you know, same size, also gliding towards him. But he described this creature as having a reptilian-looking head, which I think is interesting in light of, you know, like reptilian aliens and all that kind of stuff. Matter of perspective, too, because we talk about this on the show, that it's not necessarily these things are actually shape-shifting, but rather they're changing your perspective on what they want you to see. So if they're in the middle of the woods and they don't want you to necessarily know they're a reptilian, they want to scare you away, what not better to turn out and make yourself look like a giant robot to a bunch of kids? especially during that age when sci-fi was popular and that would scare the hell out of any kid because that was all over TV at the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, the thing that I do think is kind of interesting about the George Snitowski sighting is he says, in addition to having a reptilian-looking head, he said that this creature, monster, whatever you want to call it, was also wearing some sort of metallic suit. So uh, George ran back and got inside the car, and the creature approached and placed one of its claws slash hands on the hood of the car and like looked in through the windshield. And the creature kind of then just glided away toward the craft and uh, the craft lifted off vertically, again, vertically uh, descending and ascending crafts like we talked about earlier, and the uh, craft flew away. So after the creature and the craft disappeared, the car started back up and they drove away. So they drove to the town of Sutton and spent the night at a local motel. And the next morning while they were getting gas, they noticed that there was a big V shaped burn in the hood of the car, like where the creature had put its hand or claw. So uh, the couple initially didn't tell anybody about this encounter, but three years later they changed their minds and it's since then been widely theorized that the creature they encountered was the same as the Flatwoods monster. It just didn't have its full like helmet and suit on. That's the other thing I was kind of thinking maybe is that it actually had the helmet off. Maybe mm-hmm. we've, we've kind of expressed the idea that if there are different extraterrestrial beings that they might theoretically need a suit in order to exist in our atmosphere or just have it as like a precautionary measure. So maybe... They they obviously saw the kids first, so at that point, they may not have realized that they could breathe on this planet, and then by the time they got to the second one, then they knew they could take off the helmet and that they were able to breathe on this planet, and I don't know, you're thinking about these like old UFO cases, and they were like 50s and 60s, 
just at least from like my perspective, I think it's definitely possible that that may have been when they were still physically coming here at that point. And maybe the reason why there were so many encounters like this that happened around that time was because the, uh, I guess you could say biological drone technology wasn't necessarily worked out to the full capacity. Cause of course, you know, if you're starting to figure out space travel, the first step is going to be this. And then the second one's going to be biological drones. And I know that there's a lot of different cases as far as extraterrestrials in the past, but a lot with a lot of these, like, I don't want to say one off, but one off to a particular area encounters, you know, maybe this is a random species that isn't something that's a regular spacefaring species. And maybe it's only made it to our planet once. And it was a solo single entity of them that had no hope of getting back to where they were at in the first place. I mean, definitely a possibility. Well, what's interesting about, you know, you brought up about maybe the drone technology wasn't there yet. This is before the Betty and Barney Hill incident when, you know, kind of grays become the standard that, most alien encounters are, you know, attributed to. So yeah, it could be that in the fifties that they just didn't quite have the technology. And then in the sixties they got it. And then that's why we see the grays basically from there on out. Say also a possibility that these things are interdimensional and that again, maybe there's just some random ones that slip through the, through the cracks using some type of zero uh, gravity device. And some of these things may be, this species has only made contact with our world only once. And that's why it seems like it stands alone in its own thing, that there hasn't really been any other sightings that seem close to the Flatwoods monster. Yeah. You know, I think that's definitely a good thought or the fashion just um, changed. That's also definitely a possibility too. <laughs> just wearing different clothes. They just changed their clothes. And that's how the phenomenons upgrade and change through the years is just styles in general. <laughs> So there was another strange encounter that allegedly took place in the town of, I think it's pronounced Heaters, H-E-A-T-E-R-S, West Virginia, which is about uh, five miles north of Flatwoods. And this encounter uh, allegedly took place a few days before the main Flatwoods monster encounter. And a woman named Audra Harper came forward with the story, but she didn't come forward with it until the early 60s. And she claimed that uh, she and a friend were walking to the store and they took a shortcut through a field and they saw a bright ball of fire on a nearby hillside. And the ball of fire allegedly vanished and in its place, a quote, dark humanoid figure appeared. And so uh, they you know, ran away from this figure in terror uh, but they said that the figure pursued them, and so they were, like, running through the woods and over, you know, rocks and rough terrain. And eventually the figure just kind of disappeared and quit following them. Um, so Harper and her friend reached the store, and they told, you know, what had happened to them to the people there that were working and shopping at the store. But, of course, nobody believed them. And then um, later when Harper was talking about the main Flatwoods monster encounter, she said that they had, quote, seen something just as bad. And this, I think, is really interesting. Uh, so in 1993, there was another similar sighting. And this happened uh, to an eyewitness at the Flatwoods Regional Jail. And he claimed to see a large ball of fire land outside in the snow. And the ball of fire then disappeared, and a creature resembling a, quote, giant wolf appeared. So that kind of gets into our, you know, black dogs and snarly yow and all that that we've been talking about. Especially with the sulfur and smell too. That's another exactly. connection. I wonder if this exactly. guy mentioned any type of like sulfur smell or if it was too far away that he maybe wasn't able to pick up if there was some kind of smell I'm like that. I'm not sure about that. I didn't see anything about uh, sulfur specifically. But moments later, this uh, giant wolf creature, he said, morphed into a very huge black humanoid. So I don't know if, you know, these balls of fire are some kind of portal or, you know, gateway or it's like an orb type situation. But um, I thought this was really interesting that this is two like really similar events that took place, you know, 50 years apart. And the whole black dog giant wolf thing being in there, I think is really interesting, too. I mean, just kind of a weird thing to think about, but, you know, you have these giant balls of fire that crash out of the sky and they have these amorphous, weird morphing creatures that come out of them. 
it almost makes you kind of wonder if from a different perspective that we think about extraterrestrials as coming in these like metallic suits and, or in these metallic ships and like landing and doing the whole like, you know, walk out, take meteor leader kind of concept, but extraterrestrial life may not be exactly how we perceive it as where we're thinking of something coming in this type of ship, but not realizing that there could be things that are theoretically traveling here using like meteors or different other items that we wouldn't necessarily see as like a flying vessel because they may not consist of the same building blocks of life as we do. Like we think of everything as being like carbon based or built like us, but that doesn't mean that there might not be these like, I don't want, for lack of a better term, like shadow beings that may not necessarily have a solid figure or shape that maybe they're able to travel using like other different types of objects that again, we wouldn't perceive just thinking about like aliens from the different perspective um, that maybe, maybe that could have been something he saw as some other type, different type of species that we're just not necessarily capable of theorizing what it could be yet. And maybe this happens all the time. And that's why these kind of cases are starting to upspike as far as like these amorphous blob type creature cases. Cause I mean, just in the past couple of months, I've had two people that have come to me personally uh, talking about seeing a shape that morphed and turned into something else. Uh, one of them being uh, Brandon from Tinfoil Tales podcast. Uh, he, he has one of those encounters. And then the guy that we talked to recently, um, Grimbowski, you remember him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had an encounter with an amorphous blob type being. But again, just something to think about. Food, Some food for thought, I guess. Yeah, it definitely seems to me that it's quite possible that these, you know, kind of orbs, balls of light, whatever you want to call them, um, is probably a different creature or entity than what the Flatwoods monster and the Snitowski sighting was. Or, again, like you were saying, it's just whatever this larger phenomenon chooses to display itself as. I, I mean, it's one of those two, I feel like. I mean, also kind of a weird possibility too. There could be, I keep going back to like meteors because that seems to be like the best way to describe this like ball of light that comes crashing out of the sky. But, you know, if things like that theoretically happen, it makes you wonder if they're made of a specific type of material. Um, some They have some type of particular makeup. If kind of like what you were saying, it wouldn't be possible that maybe they're able to like rip holes in reality and open up doorways to other parallel dimensions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so kind of talking about some of the local and pop culture ties to the Flatwoods monster. So in the uh, decades after the encounter, the legend has kind of been, you know, enthusiastically embraced by the local community. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but the monster has come to be called by many names, including the Green Monster and the Braxton County Monster, or simply Braxy because of Braxton County. And uh, the welcome sign for the town of Flatwoods actually reads, Welcome to Flatwoods, home of the green monster. That's awesome. So, I did not know that. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of places where this weird stuff happens, they kind of try to hide it and, you know, sweep it under the rug, but not in Flatwoods. They're all about it. So, um, the Flatwoods Monster Museum is now located in the town of Sutton. And the museum has a piece of wood that is allegedly from the tree from like the main encounter where the creature was seen. And uh, also scattered throughout Braxton County are five 10 foot tall like chairs, like Adirondack chairs almost. And they're painted by uh, local artists to resemble the monster. And if visitors uh, take a picture with all five of the chairs, they can go uh, back to the, I believe it's the, um, the museum and they get a free Braxy sticker. So that's kind of cool. And do you uh, mean free also, as in they get a Braxy sticker for free or they get a sticker that says free Braxy? <laughs> actually both. Ooh, even better. I think it is a, it's a free sticker, but the sticker does say free Braxy. That's a I double believe. entendre. <laughs> yes, I didn't even mean it that way. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> I'm glad we clarified. And uh, there's also a local kind of restaurant ice cream shop called The Spot, and they have a large photo op featuring the monster. And uh, if you look this up on TripAdvisor or whatever, you can see people taking pictures. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you poke your head through the board and it looks like you're getting abducted by the Flatwoods monster. It's pretty cool. Just another reason to go to Sutton, West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to get yeah, my picture sure. of my face in the sign. Then I also got to go and touch the Mothman's butt all the way on the other side of the state. <laughs> 
Yeah, I wish they were a little bit closer so you could hit them up kind of in one trip. <laughs> I want to feel the chair and feel the butt all in the same day. Feel the hiney. Feel the hiney. <laughs> but uh, the Flatwoods monster also appears in the video game Fallout 76, um, which you know a lot of other cryptids like Mothman is in it. And it was also the uh, subject of a 2018 Small Town Monsters documentary called Flatwoods Monster, A Legacy of Fear, which is interesting since we were talking about Monster Fest at the top of the show. So It all comes uh, around full circle. <laughs> absolutely. That's how we like to do it. But uh, that was just kind of some, uh, you know, kind of pop culture things uh, before we dive into the theories and thoughts and all that. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add before we jump into that? Oh, no, we can hop right into the theories. I'm sure I got a lot of different stuff to bounce back and forth with you going into uh, this area. Yeah, and we've kind of uh, already touched on a lot of these throughout the conversation, but uh, we'll go back through them just a little bit more. So throughout the years, you know, there's been everything ranging from just like mundane to fantastic theories used to explain the Flatwoods monster encounter. And, you know, like the main one that we've talked about is that the monster was, in fact, an actual extraterrestrial piloting a otherworldly spacecraft that either you know crash landed or landed on purpose here in flatwoods i mean if this and, thing seemed to have bounced off the ground and then left and then bounced and left i don't think it actually crashed because otherwise there would have been some type of remnant left over or some other part of the story where people would have been like all oh, these government guys they left with big uh things on their trailers that were covered up. So I don't think it necessarily crashed. I think it was just a zero gravity flying device. Yeah, I don't think it crashed either. Uh, the only reason I mentioned that is one of the accounts I read said that when they found the object on the hill, that it was like partially buried um, in the ground and looked like it had kind of crashed. But I only saw that on one account. Everything else I said or I saw said that it had kind of just landed. So that's what I tend to go with maybe not necessarily the best pilot they're like all right we're going straight down for a landing but the gravity is a little bit stronger on this planet so just on the very first time that they tried to land on this planet they just they hit it a little bit too hard <laughs> yeah and again i don't know if that was just you know somebody kind of taking liberties with the story when they were writing up the article i read but uh you know just something to kind of keep in mind i mean i could definitely see that as a possibility too that if you were something that took a zero gravity flying device to multiple planets that maybe if the gravity is a little bit different on each planet, the landing aspect might be a little bit different as far as how far you have to hit down the controller, for example. <laughs> yeah. They just didn't stick the landing. Yeah. They just, they, they, they hit it a little bit too hard on the impact coming down. But, uh, the whole extraterrestrial theory is kind of supported by the fact that there was as many as six different UFO sightings in the Flatwoods area on that same night. It was just one and the other five were all uh, government technology. They were like, all right, there's one. Let's just test out everything all at once. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's kind of funny, though, because UFOs of varying shapes and colors were actually spotted in a number of states on the same night, including uh, Maryland, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Washington, D.C. And some people have suggested that the UFOs that were sighted over Washington, D.C. were pursued by Air Force fighter jets, and that's what like forced them into West Virginia, where this thing either crash-landed or landed to seek shelter. So um, there's a whole lot of stuff about like this whole military connection. There's um, a book, and I should have written down the name of it, but if you just Google like Flatwoods Monster Book on... You know, just search for on Amazon; it'll pop up. There's a whole uh, a whole lot about like these possible government ties to the Flatwoods monster, but maybe we can revisit that in a later episode. I just kind of wanted to give you guys the the general thrust of it today. I mean, thinking about it from if there were different models from what it appears that were all, they weren't all like the same type of UFO. There's definitely the aspect that it could be different types of government technology and they're trying to test it out. Uh, also could be the possibility that they saw one extraterrestrial and they figured they take it as the opportunity to test it out or to go on the complete other side of it. You could also look at UFOs like they could almost be the equivalent to what we have as cars in the aspect of not everybody has the same car. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're different species of aliens, but you know, there could have been multiple 
in, in multiple aliens that were all within the area at the same time, uh, just flying different models of ships. And maybe again, there could have been some type of like anomaly or something that happened. Maybe there was a portal that opened that they all seem to have been in the same area at the same time. Um, or again, maybe it's also possible that there was maybe a group of UFOs. And then from there, it was kind of a push that came from the government and some of what the other things that people were perceiving as UFOs were government technology that they're using to follow these UFOs. Because assumably, you try to follow a UFO with a plane, you already know you're about to lose that battle. So if you're ever going to even have any kind of hope of tracing down a UFO, following it, getting anywhere with it, you're definitely going to have to have some type of zero, zero gravity device yourself. I mean, that's, that's just how I see it. <laughs> Well, kind of piggybacking off of that and the whole like military testing or experiment angle. So Kathleen May actually <clears throat> claimed that the Air Force sent her a letter stating that they were testing a new, quote, rocket type ship in the area on that same night. So I, I don't know where you land on that, but the fact that the government allegedly said to her, Hey, we were testing that. That leads me to believe that they probably weren't, <laughs> you know? <laughs> also, by the way, we were just testing out some new weather balloons and, uh, you know, at this time of year, sometimes swamp gas happens. So there also might be some swamp gas in the air. You just might as well cover all the bases at once. And if you guys see any, uh, white owls, uh, I don't know, maybe they, they, they just migrate to here this time of year, you know, just, you got to cover all bases. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. People just move along. So uh, kind of another angle that some people take is that the monster could have been some type of cryptid or interdimensional being. And I think it's pretty obvious this isn't a cryptid, but it kind of gets lumped in with Bigfoot and things like that. But the whole interdimensional being thing, you know, we've covered that quite a bit. That seems, you know, very plausible to me. And I've said before on the show, when you get down to extraterrestrial versus uh you know, interdimensional beings, you're kind of splitting hairs at that point. It's all something from somewhere else at that point. And I mean, I guess we don't necessarily know this. It isn't necessarily a science, but it seems like the whole sulfur smell idea seems to be commonly linked with portals slash interdimensional types of beings, because I know everybody has their theories on Dogman being some type of like interdimensional type being sulfur is usually associated with that. You have Demons that usually sulfur is associated with, those are clearly coming from another realm, which, again, opens up the possibility of there being some type of portal for them being the reason that they got here. So just that sulfur detail, that's the one that kind of makes me kind of wonder about the interdimensional aspect of it because, I mean, maybe it's some type of after effect from burning some type of material if it was, again, some type of human-created thing, but just because of, like, the weirdness of the shape of, like, the body, the way that the, the ship flew off, all those aspects into it. I know I just wanted to kind of take into consideration the interdimensional aspect linked with the sulfur smell coming from the thing. Yeah, and the whole you know interdimensional portal orb theory is also kind of supported by the Harper encounter and the encounter that happened at the Flatwoods Regional Jail. So, I mean, there's definitely something to unpack there. And uh, kind of circling back to the whole cryptid idea, um, in the years after the encounter, multiple eyewitnesses like repeatedly clarified that the monster did not appear to be like a, a, a creature. It appeared to be some sort of robot or humanoid or something wearing a metallic suit. So at no point did they ever think this was a cryptid, you know? Because the only detail where it doesn't have the metallic face is from that one person, right? Or, well... Group mm -hmm. of two people. There wasn't anybody else that had any experiences account, yeah. or anything else that made reference to any type of actual fleshy look to these things. It was just all pretty much metallic. So, I mean, you know, you could either take that, that encounter as truth, or maybe you can see it as maybe that was the kind of weird one out because it got brought up three years later and it has that extra detail in it. But, I mean, just off of that, definitely I kind of gear towards the... I'm assuming it was mainly some type of robotic look and maybe there's the possibility that those two just kind of misinterpreted what they saw, for example, or maybe there was like something on it. Maybe there was like the black material or that black greasy material that was on the helmet this time. And it gave the impression of like scales just because of the way it was splattered on the face. I mean, definitely a possibility. Yeah. I definitely tend to lean more toward the, uh, you know, extraterrestrial slash interdimensional or the government, experiment angle on all this um 
but kind of going back into the notes, so there's been a lot more like kind of down to earth theories used to explain the encounter. And people say that, you know, the numerous UFO sightings in the area were meteors because, again, that's what everybody says when one of these type things happened. Oh, it's just meteors. And there were several meteor sightings reported on the East Coast on that same night. But it seems more likely to me uh, that, you know, those objects could have been misidentified UFOs rather than vice versa. And also, the object seen in Flatwoods, it didn't behave like a meteor. You know, it descended vertically. It didn't just shoot across the sky in a straight line. And there was no crater left at the landing site. And I never saw anything where an actual meteor was ever found. <laughs> it's know, super so duper common like, for meteors to crash, leave no trace, and then just float back up and leave. Just disintegrate. They, yeah. They, they, no, they, they lift up and they leave. They leave. They they leave vertically. That's how it was described, right? It's it's common for for meteors. Just people just don't do enough research. <laughs> and if we're gonna get even crazier with you know some of the things that people suggest to explain this away, uh, it's been suggested that the eyewitness, uh, excuse me, the eyewitnesses actually saw a barn owl <laughs> that was perched on a tree branch. <laughs> This is good. This is good. So, uh, the people who uh, suggest the owl theory claim that the glowing eyes would have been consistent with an owl's eyes, and the claw-like hands could have been the owl's talons, like clutching the tree branch. But this is the best part. <laughs> so they say that the kind of green pleated skirt could have been the leaves and foliage on the tree beneath the owl, and you know, in their state of hysteria, they misinterpreted all this into this creature which <laughs> i love how stretched out no this explanation sense. is <laughs> yeah like this is harder to believe to me than like something weird happened and it still doesn't account for like the craft that they saw or the mist so like these people are going out of their way to say you know this crazy thing happened then this crazy thing happened then this crazy thing happened and it still doesn't explain everything that happened also, an owl will appear red and metallic if you look at it in the right light. Yeah, S instead of being that white and covered in, in feathers. Yeah, it's not going to look like an owl. It's going to look metallic. And they said that the uh, pulsing light that they saw could have been misidentified aircraft navigation beacons. But why would those be on the ground? <laughs> like none of these explanations make any the sense. owl took it down with him. And he decided to prop perfectly on a tree and just be a prankster to some kids. So, it's funny you said that. Talking about prankster kids, uh, there's also skeptics point to uh, the fact that it has been established that um, a young man named Max Lockard drove his truck out to the landing site around the same time that like, the reporters arrived. And it's been theorized that his truck could have mashed down the grass and made the skid marks and left the oily residue that was seen at the site. But again, this doesn't... Wouldn't it have tracks leading in and it wouldn't just be randomly two tracks in the middle of a field? Yeah, and it wouldn't have mashed down like a circular spot and it doesn't explain the monster or the craft itself. So all these kind of seem unlikely at best to me and you know this was a group of several people you know a national guardsman and a grown woman who are basically all saying the same thing so i, I don't think this is a hoax or something as simple as a misidentified owl you know th there's something weirder going on in my opinion i feel like it would be almost more probable if they would have gave an explanation of some guy made a suit and he made a fake UFO that he'd bring up in a tree using a string and prank kit. Like, that sounds more practical than any of these actual explanations done by investigators slash researchers. Like, yeah, like, when you have to, you know, string together all these crazy coincidences to explain something, maybe it's just not that explainable. But everything, of course, when it comes to extraterrestrials, it's always an owl, swamp gas, or a weather balloon. And that kind of segues perfectly into our next section. So we're going to talk about kind of some connections uh, to other cryptids, high strangeness, things like that. And um, just going to end up with some conclusions. But, you know, the Hopkinsville Goblins case, which we 
might be talking about here before too long for you guys. Also, they thought that but, one was owls too, but I yeah, mean, exactly. That and makes we, a little bit more sense, but not really after you consider the shooting in part. But we'll get to that later on. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that later. But yeah, you know, owls meteors also used to describe this. But uh, something I thought was kind of interesting is apparently the, every time there's a so, meteor, it's common for owls to show up. Yeah, I just want to point that out. Can't resist themselves. Ooh, shiny rock. <laughs> but the um, the Hopkinsville goblins encounter happened to like members of the Sutton family, and Flatwoods is you know like we've talked about near the town of Sutton, West Virginia. So that's just an odd synchronicity. And um, you know, Mothman. Also, sometimes people say owls to explain that away. And the main reporter in uh, that scenario that was helping out John Keel, her name was Mary Heyer, I think it's pronounced H-Y-R-E. And that's really similar to one of the uh, Flatwoods Monster eyewitnesses. His name was Tommy Heyer, spelled H-Y-E-R. Power so names? Just another, yeah, just another strange connection there. And um, this one is a little bit more tenuous, but I thought it was at least worth mentioning. Uh, the guy who um, made the initial sighting on the night before the Flatwoods Monster Encounter, his name was Woodrow Thomas Eagle, and everybody knows about uh, Woodrow Derenberger and the Flatwoods Monster Encounter. So just uh, these names and location names and whatnot seem to pop up in a lot of these similar cases. And uh, we already talked about, you know, Pascagoula a little bit. Uh, not much more to mention there. But, um, I mean, just another thing to point out, too, with Hopskinville, uh, mixed with those two, too, was obviously they didn't necessarily describe them as looking metallic. They said they were like a silvery material. But they said when they shot them, they heard the ping, which also, again, brings in this whole idea about animatronics slash some type of robotic metal suit there's a couple different ways you could view it but just a common detail between all of these cases that seem specific to certain areas that you're not seeing all over the world like the gray experiences yeah yeah and um as we kind of get more into this series we're going to talk a lot about all this stuff and like just how similar all these cases are like you almost can't talk about just one of them you got to talk about a whole group of these sightings we got to make a tally board to put on the side of the screen where we have like metallic this specific yeah, thing, like this Charlie certain Day thing. With the, the, yeah, we uh, can just start making check marks to see yeah. if they fit certain check marks. And then we can come up with a criteria for these specific types of UFO cases. And uh, one more quick thing about the names before we move on. Um, so, Freddie and Eddie May's mother was Aldra Kathleen May. And the woman who later came out about the uh, you know kind of orb creature that was following her through the woods... Her name was Aldra Harper. So I don't know how common Aldra was as a name in those days, but again, just another weird connection with names and all this. So uh, kind of wrapping everything up, uh, you know, we've kind of hit on all this. I mean, some of these rational quote unquote explanations are just ludicrous. Personally, I think something strange happened, whether it be, true extraterrestrial interdimensional whatever or you know government stuff but th this just hits so many different you know check marks on your ufo bingo card you know there's the owl and alien connection and there's ufos landing at or near schools and like school children seeing them so uh, i mean it just weirds me out how this is still going on to today where a lot of these details are fitting the Peruvian face peelers. But the difference with that yeah. one is that all of these cases that we talk about have all happened in the United States. And now that one is down in South America. So now that's like the difference between the two now, but it's still playing along the same lines. Yeah. And we're seeing that one play out in real time, but, but yeah, like we said, there's, there's a lot of these check marks that, you know, get checked as you go through all these stories. And as we go through this series, we're going to see more of those. So, uh, this was one I really enjoyed um, researching. This is kind of probably my favorite one that I've researched since Jack Parsons. So, um, and it's perfect because you got a tattoo um, of it in West Virginia. I, I did. I did. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you've got anything to kind of wrap up, but uh, that's basically all I had. And uh, again, we're going to kind of touch on some of this again later, but uh, that's the Flatwoods Monster.
Well, I think that's a good spot to leave it at. And any other details we will bring back up in the future, of course. Definitely need to make that tally system because I think that's going to do us a lot of good as we continue on with this um, Marvel-type multiverse. I don't want to call it a series or a saga because it's a little bit different than the previous ones we've been doing. They're all standalones that go together. It's an unofficial <laughs> series. There you go. Unofficial series. <laughs> and I guess uh, with that... If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify or whatever other podcatcher that you guys use. And if you guys leave a five-star review, I will read it on the show, give you guys a big shout out. And uh, if you guys want to help us out in a little bit of a different way, if you guys use Spotify, anything like that, uh, you guys can hit auto download. So even if you don't listen to every single episode, it'll count it like you listen to every single episode. And then it will help out the algorithm to make it so more people can see the show. A bunch of awesome ways that are absolutely free to help the show grow and uh we couldn't be doing it without you guys so we greatly appreciate you guys listening like i tell you guys every week and as always you guys know the drill get up with us social media email the encounter page any of that good stuff uh just hit us up and uh you know hang out with us tell us your thoughts and theories on some of this weird shit that we talk about every week for you guys everything that we've mentioned is available in the link tree which is available down in the show description and i have been the one the only Shane Squatch. And I've been Orn. And guys, I got to tell you, every single week, because we've had a couple weeks off, but now I'm going to have to remind you, every single week, because we're going to be chugging along at least till next year's around Christmas time, because I'm sure there'll be a little bit of a delay around then, but that's beyond the point. Guys, don't forget to always, always stay bizarre. 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 Owls and meteors? And weather balloons, oh my. Oh my.